0: Welcome to Bookaholics, the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking's podcast series dedicated to books. If there is one vice that all of us picked faculty have in common, it's our addiction to the written word. So in this podcast series, we introduce you to some of our favorite authors and books, recent books, relevant books, our own books, um, but also classic books that we just can't seem to stop talking about. My name is David Silim Sayers, and in this episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to an author whose book is about books. I'm talking about Grant Snyder, the creator of the website Incidental Comics, whose caricatures, cartoons and comic strips are regularly featured in newspapers and magazines such as The New Yorker and The New York Times Book Review, and whose moving and inspirational work we at the Paris Institute have shared more than once on Pict's own social media accounts. Today, we will be discussing Grant's 2020 book, I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf, which collects some of his most memorable strips, and is perhaps best described as a love letter to books and the people who have made it their mission to read or write books. Uh, Grant, welcome on the show.
1: Thank you, David. It's great to be here.
0: It's a real, real pleasure to have you on the show, Grant, because as I said, uh, we often share your work uh, uh, via pic social media, and it's always, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to see uh, both your work and people's, uh, people's uh, reaction to it, which is, uh, which is always great. Uh, Grant, um, uh, let me start by uh, um, asking you some questions about, well, the book is about books, I will judge you by your bookshelf is a is a is a provocative title. Uh, I I wonder um, if uh, in any way shape or form uh, you were inspired by the the famous John Waters quote um, if you go home with somebody and uh, they don't have books uh, don't fuck them.
1: (laughs) I, I love that quote I don't think I've actually heard it before but you know I think uh it, it relates yeah <laughs> yeah the actual title was comes from a comic in the book where i'm feeling a little bit insecure going over to friends houses and looking at their really extravagant uh, well-read bookshelves then coming home and thinking about okay what if you know these same friends come to my house and look at my bookshelf what will they think so it inspired a comic and then from that i pulled that that title
0: right uh, uh, so so grant, i think grabs grab yes. your attention hopefully i'm so, i'm sorry I I think the title grabs your attention pretty well it does it does grab your attention very well and also what it does is it kind of sets up this idea of the bookshelf as not just something kind of that stands around like a I don't know a piece of furniture in your home but something that actually uh, is a reflection of uh, of the owner's soul or in and of itself in some way has a soul um For you, uh, books are not just something, clearly not just something that you associate with whatever is written in them. In many of your comic strips, you seem to associate books, in fact, more uh, with the people, the experiences and the memories that they evoke for you than with their contents. Uh, It's clear that you regard reading itself as a way of life rather than as a means to an end. Would you care to elaborate
1: uh, elaborate on that a little bit? there's a comic in the book called stages of the reader, which I think explains it better than I can, you know, as usual I'm better at drawing than, <laughs> than speaking the words, but um, you know, kind of, kind of the, the cycle we go through from, from starting like, you know, when we can barely read or when our, maybe our parents or or grandparents or teachers are reading to us um, on to like kids who are ripping up books and, you know, chewing on them and stuff like that, but interacting with books on their own um, to young readers, to like a, a teenage reader whose identity is kind of defined by books. Um you know, fr- from there we go on to like a lot of times college students with uh, really big ideas about what their, the books they read mean and what they want them to um, say about their own life, to, to maybe grown-ups sort are of a bit apathetic about the whole reading thing or just don't have time um, to parents reading their kids again and, and so on. So I think anyone at any stage of their life has a unique relationship with books, but there, there's different like uh, connections. So, so like I'm sure you and you and I have read very, very different books but we've still had the same kind of experiences throughout all the books we've read. And I think that's, what's universal. that's what I tried to show through in some of the comics here. Right. So, so, I mean, no matter what the book is, the the, the relationship
0: that exists between the reader and the book is something that everybody can relate to. Yeah. Um, we all have books
1: we love and books we hate and books that, you know, we wouldn't admit to our friends that we've read. I mean, books that really <laughs> define us as readers and as people. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, Talking about
0: books, uh, uh, let me let me continue with a question on on books themselves, because you uh, uh, steadfastly refuse in your work to pin books down to a function and thereby to allocate to them a status as things or tools or objects that are useful in some narrowly defined way. Instead, you seem to. Like depicting books as entities with which we interact in myriad ways, entities that stir us, influence, expose us to some things, protect us from other things, and challenge us in, in a lot of different ways. You have depicted books both as animals and as humans, but I do get the impression that both comparisons are insufficient for you. Are books, in fact, for you some kind of unique life form that you're in the process of discovering and introducing to us?
1: Absolutely because like, like any uh, form of life, they reproduce. So I have s- more books year after year and, and week after week. <laughs> um, and they keep accumulating and I as much as I try to get rid of them, they they still pile up, whether it's library books or books I meant to give as gifts but kept for myself or you know books I bought but haven't gotten around to read. So you know they're, they're this living, breathing thing because they were made by human hands, but also because, uh, once they move in, they, they won't move out. Um, your sto- your your question also reminded me of a, uh, you know, the different uses or functions books can have. Not wanting to to pin it down to one thing, so I recently bought from IKEA a filing cabinet to, to store my drawings, and it comes with that nice you know handy booklet of how to how to assemble the cabinet. And halfway through, you know, half the pieces are broken or missing, and you're really frustrated. So I took this. Uh, um, this Ikea booklet that I used to assemble this, this cabinet. And one of my young sons was, uh, was looking through it or or taking it from my desk and he asked me to read him a story. So I read him the story of whatever this cabinet's name was. (laughs) And and instead of reading it as a a step-by-step instructions of how to assemble an Ikea piece of furniture, um, I turned it into a picture book or a children's book about, you know, this magical cabinet. So that, that book had at least two functions for me.
0: So basically, the the openness uh, a book's openness to interpretation, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, or or the reader the reader's richness of imagination with which he or she uh, approaches the book, uh, is what gives the book its meaning in any particular case, rather than the book itself. Even if it's something like an IKEA catalog, I love that story, um, rather than the book itself having this sort of limit to 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 whatever meaning it can have. Um, I, I, I think um uh, that's a um that's a really sort of um uh, interesting point at which to uh, go a little bit into your own writing um because um uh, some of your writing uh, does seem to serve uh, specific functions. Uh, A lot of your writing is in fact about writing, at at least in this book it is. One reviewer of your book has gone so far as to uh, comment that many of your comics here seem to have been written to keep yourself busy during or to get yourself out of uh, a writing slump. So, in a way, written as a substitute for quote-unquote actual writing. <laughs> and uh, when I look at some of your motivational pieces for struggling or aspiring writers, I I kind of see the point that that reviewer is trying to make. But I also think that at its most inspired, your writing about writing uh, transcends its subject matter and morphs back into quote-unquote actual writing, whatever however one might define that. I'm Thinking here of comics such as uh, uh, types of narrators or uh, character development, which are strips that base themselves on abstract literary concepts, but subvert these concepts with visual puns in order to arrive at self-contained stories. Uh, Do you think there's a merit to the distinction here that I'm making between quote unquote writing about writing and uh, actual writing?
1: So just just to comment on the the reviewer, I think I, this is only my second book for grown-ups. I've done a few kids' books as well, but even this early in my career, I know not to read reviews. But but still, I appreciate you finding that and sharing it with me. Um, I, I don't think I don't think writing should be held on. Um, you know, let's see. I don't know that you have to look at writing as as such a a high concept thing. Um, and I prefer to think of writing as. Something that everybody does, you know, whether you're writing a grocery list or writing an email to a colleague or, you know, writing a letter to a a family member, um, and in the same way, I don't make a distinction between, okay, I'm going to write my great American novel, which is another trope I kind of make fun of in the book a little bit, versus, oh, I'm going to write a comic, you know, that may have 10 or 12 or or 20 words. Um, I think within any piece of writing, there's a, a potential for a huge amount of expression, and to just limit it to be like, oh, well, that's not real writing. It's, you know, it, it's self-reflective or it's, you know, self-help or it's a diary or, you know, it's not a great piece of literature. I think that would really reduce and, and kind of narrow your view to, to some great forms of writing. Um, and, and back to kind of the first part of your question as well, what I where I started drawing some of the drawing and writing some of these comics on the writing process was actually with my first book, The Shape of Ideas, where I realized Every time I sat down to the drawing table, what interested me was not so much the idea that I finished up with and and, you know the published comic or page or piece of work, but my actual thought process throughout the whole thing. So in this book, a lot of those stem from that is like, okay, I'm looking at myself while I'm writing and you know, endlessly reflect, or I guess infinitely reflecting, you know, that that thought process back. So I, I think those comics can be a little bit frustrating for the people who picked up the book hoping to find an entire book on the love of reading and books and literature. But my message to those people is that uh, no book would exist without a writer behind it. And I think that's something as a reader, my, for myself, it's easy to forget. Right. No, I I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And the, and the fact that
0: you're sort of uh, bringing out the thought process that uh, uh, well two things that i wanted to say about that firstly what you said about um, emphasizing the thought process itself over um over nece- uh, over the, the the end result of that thought in a way uh, it reflects uh, kind of a bit of our bit our ethos here at the institute at the Paris institute because what we believe in in our courses etc cetera, etc cetera, for example when when we have a course that studies uh, a work by a philosopher is not necessarily to give readers sort of the packaged uh, sort of 101 version okay this is what this philosopher is saying this is the result but rather how does this philosopher think you know how can we learn to think like this person because in that case if, if you can manage to do that then you will not just arrive at that the end result of that particular book that that
1: person the same conclusions as the as the person who's already thought it exactly, but exactly,
0: exactly. But then, uh, then, then you might actually take that th- thought process and apply it to something else, and uh, and uh, that's that's what makes it so interesting. And secondly, um, what you said, uh, what you said about um, not making a categorical difference between something like somebody's grocery list or or, or something like the great great American novel to see that, to see all of these things as a sort of um, expressions on a on a spectrum uh, on a broader spectrum of writing. That, that takes me straight to uh, the next uh, question that I wanted to ask you. In fact, it, I think it already answers that question because um, you, you uh, uh, talked about how your work can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Some people can approach it expecting... Uh, some kind of comic book story. uh, 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 In in other ways, it reflects more genres like uh, self-help or uh, how-to genre. Sometimes it comes closer to poetry, but it reflects a lot of different... I mean, the way you play uh, with a multitude of art forms and genres is, in fact, very conscious and very self-conscious. So, um, And uh, it's almost redundant to ask you this at this point, but do you feel that this is something that you want to kind of process or work through or grow out of in the process of discovering what you want to write? Or do you think that this is actually a strength of, of what you're writing? This is something that you actually cultivate?
1: I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> no, um, I, all, all I can say to that is what, what I found when I, when I have a very clear idea of like how I want a story or a comic to end up on, um, or, and, you know, I know exactly what, what it's going to look like. And I know exactly what to, what I want to say. And as I'm, as I'm writing it before I'm writing it, I go into it and, and it just kind of falls flat. Either I don't finish it or it doesn't turn out like I want some of the most fun stories, books, comic strips, you know, in any form that I've worked on, I go in there, not quite knowing what I'm doing. I have maybe the vague notion of, okay, I'm, I'm going to write it in this form, maybe as a how-to, um, a how-to comic or a list, or I want to you know, talk about this very broad topic. And then I, I kind of stumble through that that thought process and I end up with something that I wouldn't have imagined, you know, ending up on. And I think that shows through, hopefully, to to the person reading it. It wasn't like, okay, this, this writer, this cartoonist had this really clear idea and he executed it and it's all perfect and clean and boring. It's like, oh, you know, he stumbled onto something pretty interesting in, in the The creative process and that makes it really fun for me. So I think as long as I have that open ended exploration, whether I'm trying to craft like a, a, you know, 300 page graphic novel about a certain topic or, you know, just do a series of online strips as long as I'm going into it with that openness. That's really what matters to me as a creator. Right. Uh,
0: thank you very much for that. I, I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a. That's a very fruitful uh, uh, and wonderful way to approach uh, art or any form of communication. As a matter of fact, I mean, uh, uh, not going in uh, knowing what you want the end result to be, but allowing it to emerge in the process. Uh, uh, one question though that I do have about your intentions as a writer <laughs> is uh, <laughs> that um, in a lot of your strips about let's say about literature about literary theory or about the literary canon the infamous literary canon um you do uh, have this uh i mean uh, you, you already mentioned that you also write for children or write children's books and and, and i do get um, this sense in a, lot of your, you know, in a lot of your writing, in a lot of your strips, that the child's perspective, I mean, looking at things from a child's perspective, also influences the way that you write for adults. And uh, I'm thinking here, especially of the way that you use uh, naive visual puns uh, to construct comics about some quite forbidding or intimidating aspects of literature. Uh, what do you think is actually gained by applying this naive childlike perspective? I- is it actually an attempt to make literature more approachable?
1: I think that's part of it. I think one, it's, it's kind of an excuse for me to make, for me to make, you know, dumb jokes or dad jokes, I guess the internet calls them now, you know, puns and um, <laughs> visual visual um, humor on, on things like that. But as, as kind of an outsider to the literary world, or at least I consider myself that, it's, it's a way for me to approach them and make them more understandable to myself. So I've taken, I think I took one English literature class in college, I'm actually a dentist. So I took a whole bunch of, I've been in school for longer than, much longer than I, you know, any person should be, but um, including my orthodontic program after dental school, but I, I don't have any, you know, academic basis in in talking about the things I write about in this book. So it's me, kind of as a lay person, looking at these concepts, whether in a book I've checked out or, you know, a textbook I found laying around, or maybe an article I found on the internet and saying, okay, how can me as somebody who likes to write, likes to draw, but doesn't have this, you know, um, really detailed background in it. How can, how can I make these things fun and interesting and appealing to myself and to other people who read about it? So I think that that's kind of where that comes from. I see, uh, and uh, related to that, I mean, it's interesting
0: that you say that you have no literary background. I mean, I knew that you're an orthodontist. I had read that up, and that relates to the that relates to your comic strip, obviously about the 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 writers with day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you could have probably added yourself in the in the last uh, in the in the last frame of that one. But um, um, what I wanted to say was. It, for someone who is from outside or whatever might be construed as a literary milieu or a literary community, you seem to be also engaged in a process of imagining what you would like your ideal literary community to be through your comic strips. Uh, something like, for example, the uh, I, th- that one page, one of my favorites is the The, lit- uh, the Literary Retreat right where 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 yeah. where, where everybody uh, who who loves literature is together on this island and 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 they have this wonderful castle uh, uh, that expresses all, the, uh, all <laughs> the all the all the different aspects of being involved with literature and is that something that you're doing are you imagining and through imagining it trying to bring maybe into being somehow your ideal literary
1: community i think that's a, a, an interesting way of thinking about it yeah absolutely david the uh, one, one thing I was reading a lot when I was making the comics in this book was um, old Paris Review interviews with, you know, different authors and poets who, who I loved from um, Billy Collins, Haruki Murakami, you know, various people I've, I've kind of referenced in this book, back, back to people who I haven't read quite as much like William Faulkner and, um, and just some of the huge names throughout literature. And I was like, oh, man, I would love to sit with these people at a dinner party and just and talk about all these things. In reality, if that actually happened, I would be sitting in the corner, like too afraid to speak to him, you know, cause I'm kind of an introverted person and I wouldn't feel comfortable <laughs> in that situation. But in my imagination and on the page, I can have those conversations and I can invite them to the writer's retreat where all these crazy things happen among writers. Um, and w- one thing I have enjoyed, um, you know, kind of pre pandemic was going to book events and and now I do finally feel confident enough to, if there's a, a famous writer coming to town who, whose work I love, I'll at least raise my hand and kind of shakily ask a question. Um, I feel like I've, now that I have my author card, I can, I can ask questions at book events and hopefully attending more of those in the not too distant future.
0: Well, uh, the way uh, the way that you imagine that community uh, in your comics is so much more endearing than any sort of physical manifestation of that community that I've come across in my life that I just hope that more and more people actually read your comics and maybe sort of morph into these softer,
1: more welcoming, <laughs> you know, versions. Yeah, you never meet your heroes in person, right? There's that saying, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, I guess, you know, behind, behind the, the veneer that, that writers put out, they're just normal people like everyone else, just with, right. with strange ideas that they put on paper, so. so. So yeah, I think uh, there's certainly probably a lot more interesting and fun to be around on paper than... (laughs) <laughs> didn't absolutely i agree with you uh, grant uh, the next few uh, questions
0: that i wanted to ask you are ones that um, concern the book as a physical object uh, rather than sort of the book as a i don't know a sort of a, a symbol for that literary community uh, when it comes to the book as a physical object you are a champion uh, that comes through in your in your work you are someone who views the physical assembly of a bookshelf over the course of one's life as a kind of self-act Actualization, even, but at the same time, you're a cartoonist whose works are perhaps predominantly viewed online in a piecemeal fashion. Your book, uh, I will judge you by your bookshelf, is in fact a collection of such individually published works. And some reviewers—I mean, you already said that you don't read reviews, so uh, uh, I apologize for bringing reviewers <laughs> up again. But but some of these uh, some of these unspeakables have uh, have remarked that while your cartoons work very well when read one per day or one per week, they don't quite have the same effect, or they're somehow somewhat overwhelming, perhaps, when your book is read in one sitting cover to cover. What do you think of this? Do you think perhaps that there is something to be said for not turning work such as yours into a book?
1: So that reminds me of a quote, which I'm going to mess up. But there's a, a, one of my favorite poets, her name is Kay Ryan, um, former US Poet Laureate. She said, anybody who would read a poetry book from cover to cover, start to finish, is demented. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I view somebody who would sit and try to to take in. I will judge you by your book show in one sitting. Um, I do think it's it's probably a fun book to to keep on keep on the nightstand or the coffee table and open up and you know read a few at a time or flip through and and you know take in the drawings one by one. But yeah, to sit down and try to read it like a graphic novel or or a you know an ungraphic novel. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, in, in one sitting, I don't necessarily recommend that. So I think that reviewer, um, you know, may be onto something. Um, at the same time though, I do think there's just something kind of romantic to me about having the drawings in the form of a book. You know, they're all about books. So it just seems wrong to keep them, you know, keep them lingering online. And it's online's nice to share comics because they can get passed around and viewed by, you know, millions of people worldwide that would never be able to maybe see the physical book. but. You know the idea that this book may be on somebody's shelf and end up in a box somewhere, and maybe their kids or grandkids will will find it in the basement, and you know have to decide whether to throw it away or give it to a thrift store someday. That's that's just kind of appealing to me.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, so 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 in a way, in a way, what you're saying is that there's a that there's a complementarity, in fact, between the between this sort of online dissemination and uh, and 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 having having them together uh, in the form of a physical object. I mean, the one doesn't necessarily exclude the other.
1: I think so. I, yeah, I hope so. So, um, uh, well, the uh,
0: the reason that I'm asking you about uh, sort of online reading versus owning the actual physical book, I have to say that this is something that is not just something that I'm interested in theoretically, but it has a, a personal dimension for me um, uh, through reading your work. And. Um, sort of following the way that it relates to the trials and tribulations of book lovers. I've come to see you as a bit of an agony uncle uh, for those of us who are hopelessly in love with books. And so since I've got you here in front of me right now, I would like to ask you for advice on a very (laughs) intimate issue related to books. So here goes. Uh, Once upon a time, I also had a beloved bookshelf that had slowly assembled over decades and that resembled nothing as much as a beautiful collage of my entire life and personality. But due to tragic circumstances that I won't go into right now, my bookshelf and I had to part and it was a permanent parting. Uh, as you can imagine, this was a deeply traumatic event for me. So now I go around having one night stands with PDFs, uh, fleeting affairs with eBooks and platonic relationships with bookstore shelves but I find myself unable to make a real commitment to a new bookshelf of my own. Sometimes I even feel as if I could never love a bookshelf again. Grant, what is your advice for me?
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing, you know, the deepest, uh, (laughs) feelings of your relationship with, with books in your bookshelf. I think the best thing you can do is to find a friend or a family member. Who's your ideal reader, who shares the same taste, the same interests, the same literary passions as you do, find a key to their house or apartment and in the middle of the night, hire some movers or, or, or art thieves, load up their bookshelf and take it to your house or apartment and keep it for yourself. That's probably the only way you know, to, to make a, a clean break from the eBooks and the PDFs and to get back into the, uh, the loving world of having a, a beautiful bookshelf of your own. All right, so you're saying basically hijack somebody else's relationship with their bookshelf. I think otherwise it'll be too painful to you know kind of build it piece by piece and you know you'll still be drawn to the ebooks and won't necessarily buy the by the physical copy so the only way to do it is just to to go in all at once and yeah I yeah, see. Find, find that perfect bookshelf and make it your own I see Grant. so basically this um is probably very good advice but this is
0: probably also the the the, the sort of questionable Aspect. a little impractical yes yeah, well a little impractical <laughs> and also a little bit on the sort of you know um you know so i i kind of get the feeling that you know i'm glad that you gave me this advice but also at the same time probably i'm glad that you're not an actual agony aunt for people who are who are parting with their with their bookshelves <laughs> um Fair so uh, grant <laughs> grant um I've, I've really enjoyed, deeply enjoyed, loved this conversation for, uh, with you. Thank you very much uh, uh, for this conversation uh, about your book in particular, uh, but also about books in general, which I'm, I think will be as interesting uh, to anybody who loves books as much as you do, as much as I do, as your book, uh, I Will Love You by Your Bookshelf, which is a gem for book lovers. So with your work on my shelf and your voice in my head now, I feel that I have come one step closer to grasping the ever-elusive Tao of the book. So thank you once again, Grant.
1: Thanks so much, David. It's been really fun talking to you.
0: Um, Everybody, this brings us to the end of uh, yet another episode of Bookaholics. If you, our listeners, uh, would like to support the volunteer work that we are doing at our nonprofit institution, the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking, uh, you may consider becoming a member of our community. You can find more information on how to join PICT on our website. In the meantime, my name is David Sillem Sayers. I was joined today by Grant Snyder, PICT's favorite cartoonist and author of I Will Love You, I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf. But why not love you? I Will Love You by Your Bookshelf. That's a sequel. So cool. Yeah, that's, that, that's, the, that's a more optimistic sequel. Uh, and I hope we have the chance to challenge you with another PICT podcast soon. Goodbye.